This is a Brain Bites episode. Each week, we share two things we learned the past week and how you can implement them in your life. So, let's get into it. And welcome back to another episode of Brain Bites, where we share one new thing we learned about the brain this week and how we're using that. Kieran, my friend, what have you learned this week? So my learning comes from deciding what restaurant to go to for my girlfriend's oh, birthday. Oh, God. Right. Big, hey, really important, right? So I was, was thinking through it, multitude of options. And what ended up happening is I was like down to the classic narrow frame of two choices. <laughs> and when I got down to these two choices, ended up going to a place called Lesame. If anyone's in Singapore, feel free to check it out. Very, very good. Um, but I was putting my hat on with this and literally comparing the differences. And the differences just seemed so massive. I was like, they are so different. Why are they so different? Mm. And it literally made me paralyzed in terms of the choice that I made. And when I looked up why I was having difficulty afterwards, there's this one thing that came up, which was called distinction bias. And it's basically what it says is our tendency to overvalue the differences between two options when we examine them side by side. This becomes less of an issue when we evaluate, evaluate the options separately, i.e. we don't create that point of comparison. And it took me down this rabbit hole to really sit there and be like, oh, so if you're doing a joint evaluation, you're comparing something together. And if you're doing a separate evaluation, you're comparing separately. So that's what came across my desk this week. Mm, a big dilemma, having oh, been massive. there, choosing oh, the restaurant for your partner. It is an impossible task. Um, and one that God tests us with almost once a year, if not more. <laughs> preach, preach, my brother, preach. preach. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. I feel, I feel your pain. Two, I'm kind of reminded of this like idea of comparing apples to oranges. But even when you think about things like being at a restaurant and trying to choose from a dessert menu, if they have two really, really different desserts, it's so hard to choose because of this exact principle you're talking about. A hundred percent. And that's the, the issue is like, you know, Obviously, in small stakes decisions, probably not that that massive. But as you get to larger stakes where there's mm. more at risk, you know, buying a house or expensive items that you want, we will literally overvalue the smallest of differences and undervalue the larger of differences. And it, what happens is what we originally really cared about in the decision literally drops by the wayside because we get infatuated by these little shiny the details, details mm. that don't really have a big outcome in the end. Yep. I can totally see that because we just get lost in the weeds, so to speak. So having been someone who gets lost in the weeds frequently, in fact, probably about two hours ago, lost in the weeds between a couple of decisions, how does this process work from a brain perspective and and what are some examples of it in play that you could share? 100%. So there's a, a paper that actually came out with this bias. So it was 2004. It was called, great title, Distinction Bias, Misprediction and Mischoice Due to Joint Evaluation. Just to reiterate, oh. joint evaluation. Beautiful. Comparing together, separate evaluation, comparing separately. And rather than just go through the ring rule, because this is, again, is more of a cognitive psychology slash behavioral economics paper, there's two main things that came out, like the sort of mechanism, so to speak, not necessarily inside the brain itself, but just more from a behavioral perspective. And mm. the first one is that there was a very clear disconnect between our prediction of which option will lead to the most favorable outcome and then our actual experience of choosing that very same option. So that was the first sort of disconnect that happens, but it then is further entrenched 
by the bias that when we directly compare options, you said it before, mate, we tend to focus on very specific details. It's almost that we thin slice it far too much instead of judging something holistically. You go down the rabbit hole, you can't actually see where the rabbit hole was. You actually went down initially. It's kind of hard to get back there. And so like well, the really big example that I can use here that hopefully makes it more tangible is, as I said, buying a house. So say one of the things that happens, and this was came up in a lot of uh, when buying a home is, do you really want high ceilings? Right? You compare two things like, do I really want these high high ceilings or how much more important are the major things of location, of price, um, you know, of if a school's nearby? And so that becomes a sort of the tangible example when it's quite high stakes. Mm, that's a really tangible example for someone looking at the housing market right now. And I think that concept of when you're trying to compare two things that are really, really similar, you have to look at the differences as a way to create distinction and differentiation between the two. But the problem is when you are evaluating two things that are vastly different and you use the same methodology without thinking about it, suddenly you're evaluating on these two like vastly different criteria. And that's where you get lost in that decision-making process as you found. 100%. How, how would you use this? How do you? How did you use it? How are you yeah, going to use this? Yeah, really good. So, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm got to be honest with you. It's not like I did this entire process for it in the end. I, I did I did go down the rabbit hole, but yeah. I, I think I was reminded massively of like how we go about interviewing people. And you know better than I do, mate, that like interviewing is the most inexact science of all time because, as you said, we end up creating multiple criteria from one criteria and we end up forgetting why we were recruiting for the position in the first place. But just generally, when it comes to a big decision, when you have multiple options at play, there's three steps that I think I can give that will hopefully help. I think the first one is to make an objective criteria on what's important to you. So ranking them very clearly that this is more heavily weighted in terms of maybe if it's buying a house location, maybe it is high ceilings, maybe it is price, but having that very clearly as your uh, criteria and only selecting Mm -hmm. maybe three to five variables. Again, be mindful that Three to five variables are probably responsible for like the 80, 90% of the decision-making process anyway. You don't need to go down and have 20 different criteria <laughs> and then evaluate as a result of it. Once you've done that though, again, avoid comparing like the options side by side because we don't want to do that joint evaluation. Let's do a separate evaluation. Assess those options individually according to the criteria that you've done in the same way you would do in any interview. And then once you've had that sort of relatively objective process, the third one, then compare the scores at the end. And by doing that, you are unbiasing yourself, but you're also being really mindful that you have some form of central truth that you can rely on to then make a decision and allow your subjectivity, the feelings and so on come in. Um, And that would be the the sort of process that I go, whether it's a small decision you need to make or a large, obviously depends on the number of variables at play, but hopefully that can help with distinction bias. Kind of counteracting that distinction bias and removing the impact of the shiny bells and whistles of each decision of each possible choice when you're making a joint evaluation by abiding by a set of criterion and then evaluating them separately and then using that evaluation and comparing evaluations rather than comparing choices, um, siloed choices against each other. That's, that's a really neat way of avoiding it. And next time I choose a restaurant for my girlfriend, I think I'm going to try doing the same thing. Get your spreadsheet out. Get your spreadsheet out. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me. Would you mind if I just evaluated each option independently and then came together as part of the valuation process? (laughs) Yeah, wow. This is uh, turning into a very interesting one, isn't it? But it, it does bear a really important point that when we're making decisions for things and we're trying to make 
a comparison between two items that aren't directly comparable because there is some differentiation in, in the product or in the choice itself, even buying a house. Having that set of criteria on, to evaluate on and then based, base your decisions on the evaluation of that criterion rather than side by side is really, really important to avoid that bias because otherwise you just compare bells and whistles. 100% or apples and oranges, as you said. Mm, there we go. There Very we go. nice, mate. I'm going to flip it on you. What, uh, what did you learn this week? So I don't know if it was learning as much as relearning. I'm reconfirming, which is okay. I've been doing a fair bit of that in the morning. But last last week or so, I noticed a couple of days I was waking up and I was going through my morning routine, going for a walk in the morning and doing a couple of things afterwards. And I was still feeling a bit flat. Mm. I was still hitting you know, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., having my coffee and just feeling quite average. And then on a Thursday morning, I woke up and said, screw it. I'm not going for a walk. I'm going for a run. I went for a run, 25-minute run, headphones on, podcast. And I got home and felt incredible. And it reminded me of this principle that if you sweat in the morning, you will often smile for the day. I like that phrase. That's a, that is a catchphrase. Put that on a T-shirt, okay? All the Bang. gyms, F45, body fit, everything, chuck it on your T-shirt. Yep. <laughs> Put it in there, right? And so the question is, how, how does that work and why is that even a thing? And that's because we know from a slew of studies that exercise in the morning, particularly acute exercise to the level of sweating, uh, a 20-minute bout or more, triggers this flow, this cascade of mood-regulating hormones. We see an onflow of endorphins, of serotonin, of acetylcholine, of dopamine, all these things which actually help stabilize and regulate your mood in the morning that happen. And there's also a direct link between this level of morning exercise and the triggering of brain-derived nootropic factor, BDNF, in the morning. So what happens is when you do go for a run in the morning, you sweat somehow first thing when you get up. You're actually priming your body to have a great day. You're priming your mood for the day by triggering this cascade of uh, neurohormones and neuropeptides, which regulate your mood. It makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you, because I think when I, and I relate to this, because when I wake up in the morning, I think you can rely on heuristics or like habits that you've formed that you think help, which is classic, mm. get up, have your coffee, right? Get up, right. you know, totally. do, you know, look at your phone, do things like that stimulate you, but you don't realize that there are some foundational things or pillars and exercise appears to be one of them that mm. if you were to actually recount or recall and ask yourself, hey, I'm feeling a bit flat. When's the last time I exercised? Generally speaking, it will pop up and be like, oh, it's actually been a while and you don't realize it. And then when you do it, then you're like, oh, this is the thing thing that I need. So that whole idea of exercise being one of the leaders of neuroplasticity as we speak about, right? If you want to change your brain, like, I mean, this is one of the, the best this ways to it. do it. It's just boring though, right? So people don't like to be told, go for a, go for a run, course. go exercise. Exactly even, right. even though, as you said, us, who like we love the brain, we study it, like we literally study it mm. every single week because we want to bring it to the masses and the people and we try our best. But we forget to do these things like 100%. 100%. And we just literally goes by the wayside. And then you do it and you think, oh my God, why have I not been doing this whole time? Like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I think that there is a really important distinction though, and that's that you do have to exercise to the point of exertion where you are sweating because that is when you, you start to really trigger the, the things like BDNF. Um, in response to that, that sweat response and that level of exertion. So when we think about implementing something like this, it's really, really simple. If I'm feeling flat at all when I wake up in the morning, my new rule is rather than go for a walk, 
just go for a run or do something that makes you sweat for 20 minutes and you watch, you do that, and then you feel good for the rest of the day. Common wisdom, but uncommon practice. 100%. I agree totally. It's like it's about getting your heart rate up, right? You know, mm-hmm. and I think exactly that's the thing right. that we underestimate. Again, I'm not saying, by the way, to your point that doing weights first thing in the morning is the worst thing to do, but just being mindful. It's about intensity, right? It's about yeah. the intensity of what you do. It can be a short period of time, but that's why I think, if I'm right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but I feel like there were a lot of papers that came over the past five, 10 years that really lauded aerobic, going for a run, like aerobic exercise and the link yep. between BD and serotonin. Is that right? Yeah, there were quite a lot of a lot of them. But then if you look at the underlying mechanism, really it wasn't about going for a run, but it was actually about uh heart rate elevation, yeah. about the overall blood flow through the body. Yeah, and it makes exertion sense. in the muscles. So I love it. it. It is anaerobic, true, but if you woke up and did 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of weights in the morning, you were sweating afterwards, you get the same effect. Right. I love it. So basically, Go get sweaty in the morning. Get sweaty. Get sweaty. And again, I'm just going to borrow that catchphrase. Sweat yeah, in the morning, smile it. for the day, which is that, which is the big one. It's like it should be in the Forrest Gump movie, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I absolutely love that. And yeah, absolutely to that point, be mindful of all those, mm. all the hormones and all the neuropeptides, neurotransmitters in your brain, all the stuff that we've spoken about on previous episodes. Exercise gives a boost to pretty much all of them in all a great them. way, right? So simple. Do the sweat in the morning, do the work, and then be on your way to just happiness and productivity and great Absolutely. stuff. Listen to your mum. Go for a run or work out. Do whatever you want. And that's uh, that's that's what we've got for you this week on Brain Bites. Uh, go and follow us on socials. If you do want to know anything particular about the brain, if you are curious about something, please send us an email, sam at braintools.com.au or kieran at braintools.com.au or send us a DM on Instagram, Brain Tools Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. See you next week.